Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps or log on to Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. And now for something completely different. Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Get Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Fowler. Oh, got a doozy of a show for y'all today. It feels like just last Friday, I was sitting here, maybe a little bit worried about the Tennessee game, but more than anything else, feeling like this was a great opportunity that South Carolina had a lot to gain and simultaneously a lot to lose. Uh, this game that Carolina ended up losing by 20 points, which makes it the worst loss in a game in which they were favored since that season opener in 2014 against Texas A&M, where South Carolina was a nine-point favorite and lost by 24. So I guess if you're just doing this by uh, comparisons, not comparatively as bad a loss, but this feels particularly damning. Certainly the worst loss of the Will Muschamp era. And uh, Will Helms has a lot of, I think, eye-opening numbers, particularly regarding South Carolina's receivers that he has not told me. He hasn't told anybody. He's keeping them to himself, so I'm really excited to get to those. Before we get to him, I want to remind everyone listening to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends if you like it and you want to support the podcast, because that's a great way to do it. And for those of you that have already liked, rated, reviewed, subscribed, whatever, all of that stuff, thank you so much. It really helps. So as I mentioned, this is the worst loss now of Will Muschamp's tenure 
And it comes basically just on the heels of the best win of the Will Muschamp tenure and the biggest upset in the history of the South Carolina football program. And frankly, seven straight quarters and two overtime periods of it looking like the South Carolina team had really found its identity and was really turning this season around. The conversation last week, a, a lot around here was, well, you know, it took a while, but four years in, if I had told you when Will Muschamp got hired that this uh, this team would be hard-nosed defense, good on the defensive line, stop the run, run the football, maybe still some question marks at wide, or at quarterback with a few playmakers, wide receiver, not necessarily a lot of depth there. That would have sounded about right. And good special teams, throw that in there, because the special teams up until Saturday for South Carolina this season have been pretty good. That seemed about right. The talent, the high-end potential of the talent was on display in the Georgia game in the first three quarters of the Florida game. The capitulation in the fourth quarter against Florida felt like a combination of things. Maybe Carolina finally petered out, I guess, after punching above its weight for, like I said, seven straight quarters and two overtime periods. Florida was just a little bit more talented. Certainly some unfortunate officiating in that game had an impact. And there were some other things at play, but by and large it felt like Carolina was trending in the right direction. The marquee win that everybody was looking for, they got against Georgia. They proved that it wasn't a total fluke, or we thought they proved that it wasn't a total fluke against Florida, even though that ended up being a pretty lopsided margin, losing 38-27. to And then all of the goodwill that Will Muschamp had garnered from the fans, and as much as he had convinced everybody that this thing was headed in the right direction, I think it's safe to say that that is now all completely out the window. A 20-point loss in Knoxville to a Tennessee team that had just been bad offensively every way you can measure it. They were the second worst team in the conference, one of the worst teams in the country at running the football. The passing game wasn't much better. They have really good wide receivers, and that was really on display on Saturday with Callaway and Jennings just having spectacular games. 10 catches, 276 yards, and three touchdowns between them. Uh, Jennings averaged 25 yards a catch. Marquez Callaway averaged 35 yards a catch. But the problem for Tennessee was they didn't know who was going to get those guys the football. It seemed like they had found an answer they were comfortable with in Brian Maurer, but he got knocked out of the last two games with a concussion, did not play against South Carolina, and so it was between Jarrett Garantano, a guy that Tennessee fans were calling into a radio show in Knoxville last week and invoking the crucifixion as a means of explaining how desperately they did not want him under center, or J.T. Shrout, a guy that's thrown 10 passes in his entire career, and by the way, had only completed three of them, those two guys go a combined 18 of 30 for, now I'm just doing math on the fly here, 351 yards and three touchdowns. And made Carolina's secondary look like it wasn't even there for large parts of the game. The defensive breakdowns were, I don't want to say mind-boggling, because the safety play for South Carolina has been bad all season. And the secondary has been okay, not great. There have been some bright spots. Certainly Israel Mukwamu's three interception game will live on in Gamecock fan history lore. People will talk about that game forever. J.C. Horn hasn't had a great season, but, I mean, he was really the only guy that didn't get exposed in that Tennessee game. Jamie Robinson's been a real bright spot as a freshman. Like I said, the safety play has been bad, but, it, I mean, it was really everybody that was just getting torched back there. Carolina giving up big play after big play in a way that, you know, they did against Alabama, and that made sense because it was Alabama, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country and an unbelievable core of wide receivers. And, you know, late in the Florida game, that was exposed a little bit too, but Kyle Trask, Tua, both significantly better than Garantano and Shrout, and I thought the playmakers were as well. But Juwan Jennings, Marquez Callaway had spectacular games. They caught everything thrown their way. They broke tackles. They got yards after the catch. And I think more than anything, 
Carolina's inability to get after the quarterback was kind of what led to the secondary getting exposed. The formula for the Georgia game for South Carolina, obviously keep it close, be good defensively. Jake Fromm played a terrible game, maybe the worst game of his entire career. He missed some passes, maybe even uncharacteristically so. But Carolina got 17 pressures in that game. They got three quarterback hurries, according to the box score, according to ESPN's box score. Maybe Will Helms uh, can update those stats for us. But, I mean, even the eye test, there were times, I guess, early in the game when Carolina got pressure. But by and large, especially later in the game, Tennessee was playing a little bit more max protection. They had forever to throw the ball. And then it was just up to Jennings and Callaway to beat their guy, and boy, did they. I mean, Israel Mukwamu got mossed a couple times. It was it was embarrassing. Again, not only guys missing tackles, but guys not contesting balls or when they were contesting balls, just just getting mossed. I mean, it was it was crazy. It was it was very unexpected. And even still, even with all of those things that were glaring and embarrassing and hard to watch, and I think made Saturday just a very unique kind of demoralizing, the Carolina defense still only gave up 27 points. What really stands out in this game, what really separated these two teams were the two special teams touchdowns, which just felt like blips. But in both cases, just absolutely turned the game on its head. There was the punt return in the first touch, the punt return touchdown in the first half, and then obviously the block punt that led to a touchdown in the second half. That was kind of the difference in this game. Carolina's offense was bad too, but like the defense... It felt bad watching it, but then you look at it and it's like, it's kind of what you expect. Now, the defense not totally what you expect because I didn't expect them to give up that many explosive plays, but they held Tennessee to 5 of 14 on third downs. Tennessee ran the ball at 3.5 yards a carry, which is below their already low season average. But the big plays were the difference. And then I guess you can say the exact same is true for the flip side for Carolina. You know, this is not a team that scores a lot. I thought the final score would be somewhere around 24 to 20, that Carolina scored 21 doesn't overly surprise me, but it felt worse watching it. Tavian Feaster ran well again, 19 carries, 80 yards. That's like just a little over four yards of carry, which is low for him, but was still productive. Had a touchdown as well. Uh, Denson wasn't able to do anything. I think this I think this game, more than that Florida game, Carolina really felt the absence of Rico Dowdle. I guess Rico did play one play in that Florida game, but you know what I mean. And Helensky, as much as people are killing Helensky, I don't think that's the answer either. He was 28 of 51. 319 yards, one touchdown, no picks. 6.3 yards per attempt, which is higher than his season average. QBR is pretty low at 38.4. I'll be very curious, like I've said a couple times now, I'm fascinated by these things. What do the advanced metrics say about Ryan Holinsky's performance? Because I don't think it was all that bad. He missed some passes, but I mean, everybody misses passes. I thought the bigger issue was lack of protection, which isn't necessarily all on the offensive line. The first sack that Carolina gave up was Kyle Markway just getting beaten like a drum one-on-one. And a lot of drops. By my unofficial count, Josh Van had two drops. Nick Muse had two drops. Shai Smith had a drop. Brian Edwards had a drop. I know at least one of those incompletions was a throwaway. If all those go the other way, or if even most of those go the other way, you know, the drops, that's six drops right there. You give him five of those, and he's 33 of 51. How much does that improve his QBR? How much does that improve the perception? But even more than that, I think it's the timing of those things. And that's why, I think that's why this, the, the experience of watching Carolina's offense this year has been very difficult at times to diagnose exactly what the problem is and has been so frustrating. And I think fans get frustrated and they just say, oh, it's on Brian McClendon. You know, the, the play calling's bad. The offense just doesn't work because he's not calling the right plays or it's not the right philosophy or there's not an identity. Some combination of those things. But more than anything, it, it feels like this offense, the timing. Carolina had a big play. They had a 75-yard touchdown to Shai Smith. 
the difference is that was on the first play of the game and, and sort of set the tone. But Tennessee's big plays came at what felt like more crucial inflection points. Carolina, whenever they need to pick up a third down, whenever they need chunk yardage, whenever they need short yardage, pretty much what, whenever they need something, they're just not able to generate it. Whether it's because Josh Van dropped a what looks like a third down catch, whether it's because Ryan Holinsky missed a throw to a wide open, I don't remember who it was, maybe Chavis Dawkins running over the middle of the field on a third and six in the second quarter. Just missing those things, the timing of those things is what is so damning. The stats are, it's, it's also kind of hard to, to just look at the stats because Carolina had a good bit of garbage time because Tennessee was up by 20 for most of the fourth quarter. The third down number really jumps out 4 of 18, but 397 yards, 319 passing yards, only 78 rushing yards. Um, that's obviously brought down by you know some sack yardage, but like I said, in terms of in terms of their actual running backs, Tavian Feaster looked good. I mean, he had a 13-yard run, busted off a couple 7, 8-yard runs, maybe a 10-yard run in there. It seemed like Carolina could have run the ball if they wanted to, and they ran it 21 times in the first half compared to only throwing it 19. So if the game were a little bit closer, if it didn't get so out of hand, you feel like that probably would have been a little more balanced as opposed to the 51 pass attempts of Ryan Helensky compared to just the 30 rushing attempts. But you rarely look at a call or even a sequence and say, well, that was just terrible. I know some people get bothered by like run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And I agree that does get a little bit repetitive, but as well as Carolina has run the ball this year, like I don't overly agree with that. You know, maybe take a shot on first or second down every once in a while to change it up. And Carolina has done that. I don't remember offhand how many times it did it against Tennessee, but it's another case of the numbers are bad, and it felt bad watching it. But it's also sort of what's been going on all year. The difference is the special teams plays. And that I really don't know what to do with. Because that feels a little bit fluky. Because like I said, Carolina special teams have been good this year. And I'm not saying this loss was fluky. But there's just, I think it just boils down to something that I talked about after the Missouri game, after the North Carolina game, you know, even heading into the Georgia game and coming out of the Florida game. I've talked about this a lot. At some point, there are reasons and there are excuses for why things happen or why things don't happen. And you can make those reasons, even if they're legitimate and excuses, till you're blue in the face. But at some point, we just have to look at results. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not even talking about wins or losses necessarily, because if Carolina lost this game 23-22 to in Knoxville and looked good, maybe the offense looked inept, but the defense at least hung in there, you didn't give Tennessee what just felt like all these freebies, all these big game-changing plays, I think that would feel a lot different. But Carolina has looked horrible. They've looked lost. They've looked unprepared. They've looked unenergetic. Like they didn't even want to be there in some of these losses. So I guess that would say that's the number one thing, sort of my takeaway from the North Carolina loss, from the Missouri loss, by fear heading into the Georgia game, and then sort of the end of the Florida game. And I think buried within that is something that I think there's nowhere else to put this but on the coaches. And sort of goes back to the preparation. It's just this team doesn't make plays. Or at least it doesn't make plays when it needs to. The plays that the South Carolina makes are, they feel inconsequential. Whereas, like I said, with Tennessee or with Florida... When they made those plays matters. And that feels like a dumb thing to criticize because maybe that is just lucky. You know, Carolina getting the interception in the Florida game when they did was terrific. But the timing of Florida's turnover was even better. They had just taken a 24-20 to lead. They forced a fumble. 
sack Ryan Holinsky, they get the football, they go and they score, it's 31-20, to 20, all of a sudden the game's over. You know, for Tennessee, I guess it was already 34-21 to 21 when they blocked that punt, and it didn't look like Carolina was, I have no reason to believe that Carolina was going to get to 34 at any point anyway, but that really, you know, put that game to bed. The punt helped them, or the punt return really helped them hang around in the first half. It looked like Carolina, things were generally coming up Carolina. They obviously were able to get that stop on the goal line. It's like, wow, that's great. Anytime you can get a goal line stop, which South Carolina did a couple years ago against Tennessee, it's like, okay, well, that's that's good to invoke that sort of energy. Yeah, the defense hung in there. They gave up a long drive, but you know, didn't give up any points. That's a huge win for Carolina. They got a punt. Tennessee's got good field position, maybe. And then maybe Carolina gets another stop, maybe you know, field goal attempt, whatever. But all of a sudden, Tennessee was just right back in the game. And those kinds of things are just that just doesn't really happen to Carolina. It has not happened. You know, the Kentucky win was dominant from start to finish. Obviously, Charleston Southern was dominant from start to finish. The Georgia win was it feels more and more like a complete outlier every single week, not just an outlier because Georgia turned it over four times, but just because that team really hasn't shown up this year. And again, it, it, to me, all of this, the inability to make plays, especially plays in crucial moments, it, it all comes back to preparedness, and I feel like that has to be on the coaching staff. I don't really like doing that, and I don't like overly killing you know, what these kids are doing on the field because I think there are real... like. Whatever Will Muschamp's punt team is, his punt coverage unit, however he draws it up, Carolina hasn't had a punt block this year. So you can't put that on him. You know, that's poor execution. Somebody missed a block there with the punt return. You know, he didn't he didn't set up that that punt coverage to be, oh, well, you know, we're going to take a chance here, so there's going to be a gap. It's like, no, somebody somebody messed up. Ryan Helensky missed some passes. The wide receivers dropped those balls. And that's the story of this game. But that's sort of why I think it's important to emphasize not just looking at a specific case and saying what happened here but we're at the point in the season and Will Muschamp's tenure when you just say these things keep happening and maybe in this case it happened because of an injury in this case it was because the refs hated Carolina and in this case it was you know just kind of unlucky and I'm very much someone that believes in the process and litigating the process not just results especially in something as fickle as college football but it's a preponderance of evidence now and I feel I feel bad because I, I kind of went this direction after the Missouri game. And then it seemed like, like I said, they had gotten things back on track with great defensive performances against Kentucky and Georgia and for three quarters against Florida. It was trending in the right direction. Will Muschamp had that signature win. Fans were happy. Fans were happy to have that Georgia, Georgia win, even if it meant losing games to North Carolina and Missouri. That was kind of the talk. Would you trade X for Y? In this case, the Georgia win for those two wins. And the answer is no. But now, I think the correct answer, I think the smart way to think about this is, would you trade losses to Tennessee, Missouri, and North Carolina in for that Georgia win? And I feel like you kind of got to say yes. I texted my buddy Drew earlier and, and asked him kind of the same thing. And he said, no, because you have the memories. You know, Carolina fans will always remember winning that Georgia game, and it's still the biggest upset in school history. So that is cool. But that's like posterity and just the emotional part of it. And that's valuable. But in terms of what is the progress and the trajectory of this football program, I think now, as I mentioned earlier, like all of the goodwill is gone and all of the momentum from that game is gone. Carolina is not going to go bowling this year. And when and if, and this is a whole other side tangent that I'll maybe save for Wednesday because Wes and Chris can speak to this more than I can, when it starts to impact recruiting, I think that's when it's time. 
But until then, talent is important enough. When you have talented guys on there, you can stumble ass backwards into an upset of Georgia like Carolina did in a really competitive game against Florida. But as soon as that starts to go or plateau, I think this is just another example of whether it's Will Muschamp, whether it's Brian McClendon, Travis Robinson, Dan Werner, whoever you want to pin it on, combination. For me, it's got to be the guy at the top who takes responsibility for these things. At Carolina and at Florida, it's not getting it done when they need to in games where they have to get it done. Florida, Carolina had a lot to win and not a lot to lose in that game. And they lost the game, and they didn't lose a lot. And they played pretty well. This is a game that Carolina had a lot to gain and at least as much to lose. And they lost, and they did so in humiliating fashion. And even though this was the worst loss, like I said, of that of that character, Carolina was a favorite and lost by 20. It's the only time that's happened since Will Muschamp got here. But this is just another one, you know? The Missouri game, lifeless, no preparation. Sure, Ryan Holinsky was injured. Weird defensive touchdown, bad pick six. How do you put that on the coach? You can't in that one instance. But season after season after season, again, Florida and South Carolina. I don't have a lot of answers, and that's just sort of what I'm left with. Maybe Wilhelms has some more answers for us. He has the advanced metrics. I can't wait to see what these look like. I always have my expectations and sort of my own personal predictions for who will end up have having graded out well and on the other end of the spectrum as well. And um, I don't know. I feel like I'm usually about 50-50. I have had a little bit of a tip. The Carolina's receivers didn't play well, which reflects exactly what we saw. I'm really curious to dig into some of these numbers, particularly Ryan Holinsky and some of the other defensive guys. So without further ado, here is Will. All right, on the line with me now, as he is every Monday, Will Helms of Prep RA, of Gamecock Central, of Twitter fame. Will Helms, who was at the South Carolina-Tennessee game. Oof. Um, oof. Was that your first trip to Neyland? No, I've actually been there uh, three times. Okay. There for the Drill Adams fumble and for the super weird Chris Lamont's maybe tipped it, maybe didn't on Tennessee's eighth play in the last five seconds of the game. <laughs> Always a weird one up there. Yeah, so you've had some uh, some mixed results. Obviously not a good one on Saturday. Look, this is, by some metrics, the worst loss of Will Muschamp's tenure here at South Carolina. It's the first time they've lost by this much as a favorite. The You have to go back to, well, other than the Virginia game, which, you know, I guess you can count that. I don't know. But other than that, you have to go back to that 2014 season opener against Texas A&M to find a game in which South Carolina was favored and lost by this much. And it... It felt bad watching it. The secondary breakdowns were embarrassing and felt very significant. And the offensive shortcomings, you know, that's kind of what we've seen all year. But the defense still only allowed 27 points. Carolina's offense scored 21 points, all of them in the first half. Did the numbers tell you that this game should have been closer than it actually was? So I've been looking, and Bill Connolly doesn't have his... um projected win percentage up or post-game win percentage for the South Carolina game. Um, unfortunately, I was looking for it. I hope, you know, maybe I could find it, but um, have not seen that yet. Um, but it did feel, I guess, slightly closer than it did. Actually, I found it right now. So that's exciting. So we'll wait for that. But um, no, the main thing was like South Carolina's defense played, I dare say, well, most of the time. 
Um, I think I talked about this in the article I wrote after the game, um, but they gave up 485 yards, which is not good, but over 300 of them came on nine plays. So in the other 51 plays, they um, gave up less than three yards a play, which would be terrible for an offense if Tennessee didn't have the nine huge plays that they hit. And it's really interesting because you have to go all the way back combining every game before this, all the way back to Missouri before you found um, nine plays of 20-plus yards against this defense, and then they just collapsed against Tennessee. It was it was extraordinary. It was inexplicable. We were having, I guess, a similar conversation last week where you say, okay, well, was Florida really 11 points better than South Carolina last Saturday? Not in general, but last Saturday. And the conclusion was kind of no, and you had the S&P numbers that said that basically Florida, Florida had – an historic outlier kind of performance that propelled them to those 38 points. Obviously a huge story with this Tennessee game that I feel like hasn't been mentioned enough, at least, you know, on Twitter and, you know, places like that where always the most intelligent conversations are happening is that Tennessee scored 14 points on special teams, the punt return in the first half and the block punt that they were able to return for a touchdown. But the second one, as much as it really put the nail in the coffin, they were already up 34 to 21 I think anyone that's watched Carolina this year knows that they weren't going to get to 34 anyway, even if Tennessee didn't do that. So it was kind of insult to injury. But even before that, it just the the game by that point felt out of reach, and in a really disappointing and confusing way. So let's let's just start with the with the explosive plays because that was other than the special teams, that was the big story of the game. What did you see, and what do the numbers say happened? So one of the things that we can look at is actually in Bill Connolly's five factors, he tests success rate and explosiveness. And Tennessee's offense was horrible in success rate. Um, Success rate is basically just saying, I think we've talked about this one before, um, are you picking up the amount of yardage you should pick up on each play? So first down, are you picking up five yards on first down? Are you getting your third downs, um, you know, regardless of how far they are? Are you picking up most of your yardage um, on your second downs? And Tennessee was terrible at that. Um, They were 36% for the entire game, um, 33% on passing downs. The um, national average is 41%. So they were 5% worse than national average at that. But then you look at their explosiveness, and their explosiveness throughout the game was just almost double what national average would be. And so it really was – South Carolina would stop them two, three plays in a row and then just give up a huge play that would completely shift momentum um, and allow Tennessee to move down the field without actually having to consistently um, move the ball against South Carolina's defense. And that's just something that if there's anything Will Muschamp's defense at South Carolina have been good at throughout the past four years, it's been limiting the explosive plays. Uh, South Carolina was third in the country last year at limiting explosive plays. They've been really good this year other than the Alabama game. And then they just have this extreme outlier where they just can't cover Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway. Um, And it's really odd to me that that happened. Um, But, I mean, the numbers back that up, uh, as expected, the PFF numbers, the defense um, played well. Defensive line actually, despite not getting a lot of pressure, um, a lot of defensive linemen scored in the really good to great range. Um, you have some mixed results from the linebackers, and then you just have some really, really poor grades um, from both of the safeties and um, a couple linebackers in coverage. Um, and that really was the story of the game. Is on offense, you can have a poor grade here and there. You can have a couple guys, um, you know, that don't perform well as long as you've got a couple guys that are performing well. But on defense, you can have 
10 starters play really well, and if that 11th guy isn't playing well, you can see the results and how that can negatively impact your team. And so um, out of 300-something passing yards, I can't remember exactly how many Tennessee had, um, most of those ended up being against two or three players. So I have a lot of different places I want to go with this, and I guess I'll I guess I will start closest to the line of scrimmage and work outwards. I'm surprised to hear you say that South Carolina's defensive line graded out well. I guess it makes sense that they would have a good, uh, I guess, like run defense grade because Tennessee only averaged three and a half yards a carry. But one of the things that I thought was a a big component to South Carolina getting burned on so many of these deep balls is it felt like the secondary was in coverage for a long time and Carolina's inability to, I guess, consistently get a pass rush to either Garantano or Shrout, especially in the second half, was a, was a big factor for me. I think they were only credited with three quarterback hurries in the ESPN box score. Is that the same number that you see in Pro Football Focus? So uh, PFF usually gives a, a couple more hurries um, just because they ESPN would say a hurry is almost pushing the quarterback out of the pocket. So the quarterback has to actually move, whereas PFF would say use the more traditional and um, I guess more natural and definition of it would, would just be it hurries the quarterback. So they were um, given seven hurries and then four quarterback hits according to um, the PFF numbers. Um, but I, I think Will Muschamp said it after the um, press conference, you know, Tennessee's offense did a really good job of picking their shots and um, caught South Carolina against the blitz a couple times against six, seven, even eight blockers. Um, and Tennessee ran these two-man routes down the field and just had the time to, um, you know, to complete some of the passes. Um, but yet 11 hurries, which is the um, lowest rate of the season, still around national average, just to kind of show how good South Carolina's defensive line has been. This was by far their worst game um, and still about average um, across the nation for what you would expect from a game. Um, but it really was they just couldn't stop the big play. Yeah, and that, that seems about right just in terms of because it was, I think, 17 pressures against Georgia. You say 10 fewer. That was kind of the difference in that Georgia game because I woke up Sunday morning thinking, how did Carolina – how did that Carolina team upset Georgia? And the answer is, it wasn't that Carolina team. It was the Carolina team that got after the quarterback a lot better, affected the quarterback, forced Jake Fromm into making some mistakes, whereas you had two guys in Garantano and Shrout that are, I mean, Garantano's not good, and Shrout is unknown, and they finished with an 80, basically an 88 and an 80 QBR, respectively, which was crazy. But uh, what you pointed out, I had someone mention this to me, and something that I noticed as well watching the game is, the amount of times, especially in the second half, that Tennessee was just running max protect and saying, hey, Marquez Callaway and Juwan Jennings are better than everyone that you can throw at them. They're going to make plays. I, I want to go to them next because obviously those two guys had spectacular games in terms of the box score. Jennings, seven catches, 174 yards, two touchdowns. Callaway, three catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown, including that 55-yard touchdown over uh, Mukwamu. Those guys caught everything thrown their way. They broke tackles got yards after the catch. They did absolutely everything. They were kind of the opposite of, I don't want to totally disparage South Carolina's receivers because Shai Smith actually had the best day of the season for him, and Brian Edwards obviously had one of the best catches you'll ever see. But Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway, were those the two highest-graded guys on either team at any position? So the four highest-graded guys at any position on either team were Juwan Jennings, Garantano, Shrout, and Callaway um, in that order. Um, all of them scored above 80. Um, and, and it really was, I would not expect, you know, it, it happens to South Carolina all the time. And I can't tell you why it happens, but you have these these quarterbacks that we've seen are okay. You know, we've seen them miss deep balls a lot. 
Garantano and Trout could not miss the deep ball. They were just phenomenal. Um, and, yes, it was a little bit of trusting the receiver and throwing it up. Um, but if they had missed on two or three of those throws, you may be talking about a different game. Um, but, yeah, anytime you average um, 25 and 34 yards a catch, um, that's just incredible. Um, and it really just kind of shows how well um, both Callaway and Jennings played. And Carolina's defensive backfield, as you mentioned, not good performances from the safeties. Although I would guess that uh, R.J. Roderick probably had a pretty decent run um, run defense grade because he seemed to be useful in that part of the game when Tennessee was doing it. Not that it really mattered, but uh, Mukwamu just got mossed a couple times. Jamie Robinson gave up some big games uh, gains. I didn't notice uh, J.C. Horn having a particularly bad game. I don't remember anyone completing a long pass on him. I, I, I may be confused. The other thing... And watching that game, it seemed like Carolina was in a lot of zone. And watching it back uh, last night and this morning, it seemed like, I mean, it didn't really matter what they were doing. They, they ran some cover three. They were in some zone, and guys were just beating them in both cases. The the Callaway touchdown that I mentioned earlier, Carolina was not only in man, or looked to be in man, Mukwamu was, like, way off the ball and still managed to get beat deep. It's like, that's why you play off coverage, to not get beat deep. So it didn't matter if they were in man. It didn't matter if they were in zone. They just got beat. Yeah, and it looked like on that one um, that Mukwamu was expecting safety help. He let him have an inside release pretty easily, didn't give up a lot. Um, and then you look, and I don't know if it was eBay or Roderick was, you know, 10 yards in front of the ball when it was thrown over their head. And it, it, that happens, it's usually a coverage breakdown, which you can't have at this type, um, time of the year. Um, but it's interesting in looking at the numbers against uh, Mukwamu. He was targeted 10 times and only gave up four receptions, but he averaged 33.5 yards um, a reception against him, um, which is just, you know, obviously not good um, and not what we've seen from him this year, um, but still only gave up four catches. Just all of them were deep balls. Um, you have Ernest Jones gave up one catch for 48 yards. You have RJ Roderick gave two deep passes up. Um, JT eBay gave up, um, four catches. They only credited him, him with um, four catches, but two of them were long. Um, one of them was a 26-yarder, and one of them was the 19-yard touchdown. Um, that really was a very good throw. I can't remember if it was uh, from – it may have been Garantano because I think it was when he got hurt. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right with J.C. Horn. He gave up one catch for six yards, um, targeted twice, but they didn't really need to target him because, as you know, as we've seen – uh, Mukwamu didn't have his best game. Roger didn't have his best game. EA didn't have his best game. And when you've got two safeties in a corner that are really struggling um, to cover two guys, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're playing zone, whether you're playing press man. Um, I saw they played a lot of zero coverage at the beginning, and um, Shrout was able to hit a couple of deep balls on them and make them back off a little bit. Um, they really did try everything and just could not stop those two guys. And they got some mismatches as well. You know, the, basically anytime you get one of those safeties in coverage with one of these two guys. So that, look, I mean, we all knew and acknowledged that Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway were top tier playmakers. You know, as good as any that Carolina has seen this year. The only difference was, I said their offense is going to look more like Georgia's and Kentucky's. They're not going to get the ball to those guys as much as Alabama will throw it to Judy and Waddle and Ruggs. Um, and Devontae Smith, and not as much as Florida's going to get the get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And I thought that all started with the quarterback play. Kyle Trask and Tua, all season long, had just been so much better than Jarek Garantano in the 10 passing attempts that uh, JT Shroud had. And that was the difference. Those guys, again, I think it, I think it's a, a combination of things, but they were spectacular. I mean, they, they did everything that they would have been asked to do, and, and even more. They only attempted 30 passes, so Tennessee still had a similar 
run-pass balance that they've had all year. They ran the ball eight more times than they passed it, but it was just, and like I said, 87 QBR and 80 QBR and averaged 12 and 11 yards per attempt, respectively. And the flip side of that, Ryan Helinski, who actually had a bigger day than, I guess, those guys, 28 to 51, 319 yards, 6.3 yards per attempt, which is a little bit up from his season average, I think. One touchdown, no interceptions. People have been crushing Helinski in the aftermath, and he certainly missed some passes, but it didn't feel like he had a terrible game. He's actually the highest-graded player on the offense. Okay, um, good. He, was, he graded out at a now grade. That's not saying a lot. Um, in the passing game, he never grades out well in the run. He's never going to. Um, in the passing game, graded out with a 71, which is his third best game of the season. Um, he did miss some passes, but the one thing I do like about PFF, had he missed or hit every pass that he missed, it wouldn't have made a difference. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the passes he missed were, when, again, was well out of hand when they were just trying to throw it every single play. Um, and that's what I've seen a lot of criticism um, thrown his way. And to me, the drops were more costly in this game. Um, you had five drops. I think four of them came on either second or third down that would have resulted in the first down. Um, I honestly thought that the play of the game was Holinsky on the short third and two. Um, it was after he had just passed it to Josh Van. I think Van kind of went out a little bit early. Um, instead of trying to fight for yardage for the first down, you get third and two, um, and he hits Van, really good throw on the run, mm-hmm. um, and Van just straight up drops it, and that came right before the uh, – fourth down that he checked out of and ended up having that bat pass batted down. Um, but overall, I thought Holinsky played well, and then the grades came out, and, I'm, you know, the grades kind of say that he didn't play poorly. Um, you know, he didn't grade out in the 80s or the 90s and have one of these amazing games like um, Garantano did, but it was a very solid outing from Holinsky. Yeah, when I was watching the game again, I counted six drops. I guess one of them ended up being a, a pass uh, deflected, I guess, by the defense. I, I I saw what I thought was two from Muse, two from Van, one from Shy, and one from Brian. I, I think it was the one to Muse that was probably more of a pass broken up than a drop, but he, he just really wasn't getting... Actually, I don't know. I hate to say he wasn't getting any help because Brian Edwards, eight catches, 83 yards, including one of the best catches you'll ever see a football player make at any level. And Shy Smith had a good game, 11 catches, 156 yards, and a touchdown, 75 of those came on one play, so still 10 catches, 75 yards, a solid outing for him. Um, but the story all year, what happens after that? So you teased this on Twitter earlier, and I think that where you're going with this is, is also a season-long number in addition to performances from those other receivers on Saturday. But tell me about the rest of Carolina's receiving core. So I broke it down um, based on Shai Smith and Brian Edwards and this is not including week one, so this is only with Holinsky. I didn't break it down. It was a little bit hard to break it down between um, Joyner and Holinsky. But since Holinsky took over in week two, um, Shai Smith and Brian Edwards, when targeting them, um, South Carolina's quarterbacks are completing 66% of their passes for 7.9 yards per attempt. That would be fourth in the SEC. 933 yards, um, one interception, six touchdowns for a 103.5 quarterback rating. All of those would be top three, top four in the SEC. And then you look at everybody else. And when they're targeting everybody else, they have two total touchdowns, two picks, um, 711 yards, which is over 200 yards fewer than Shai Smith and Brian Edwards. So everybody else on the team combined are less than 200 yards. Um, 5.1 yards per attempt, which would be 
approximately 128, I think, in um, in the country, if this were the case, um, completing under 60% of their passes uh, with 12 drops um, compared to two drops between Shai Smith and Brian Edwards in the same amount of time. And so you're, you're looking at really, I, I think we're starting to see it's not really a Ryan Holinsky thing. It's a, there's nobody else on this team that can be trusted beyond Shai Smith and Brian Edwards as it is right now. Wow. Um, that's eye-opening and reflects, I think, what we've been watching this year. But even still, like the the scale of that is extraordinary. Um, that's bad. But let me throw it back to you this way. Tennessee has Juwan Jennings and Marcos Callaway, who you know, had more yards, had more touchdowns, according to Pro Football Focus, had better games than Shai Smith and Brian Edwards. But on any given day, you feel like those four guys probably cancel each other out. It's not like Tennessee's got a whole heck of a lot of other options in their receiving core. And I guess on Saturday, Garantano and Shrout were better than Holinsky. But then where else does the difference lie in terms of these two offenses? Well, I mean, I think um, you can kind of see that there's not a big difference. And it just kind of depends on what kind of day is happening. And I will say one thing that I didn't notice during the game, it was kind of quiet, didn't really get announced on the broadcast, didn't really get announced in press box where I was sitting. But um, South Carolina's offense stopped moving when Sedarius Hutcherson went down. Mm. Um, He played over half of the game and gave up one quarterback hurry the entire game. And then his replacement, Eric Douglas, came in. And, you know, not that you can expect a backup to come in and just completely dominate – um, but he came in, gave up three pressures in um, 37 total snaps. And, yes, it was towards the end of the game. It was when they were just basically throwing the ball the whole time. Um, but you have seven pressures that came from guys that ideally you wouldn't be starting and are, st- are playing because of injury. You have um, South Carolina gave up 14 pressures, and seven of them came from your two tackles that didn't start the season and would ideally be your backups if um, Hutcherson and Wanham would be healthy. Um, and so I think that's a big thing that was a struggle for South Carolina is they were moving the ball when they didn't have pressure on essentially every play. And so you see that Tennessee at the beginning of the game wasn't getting a lot of pressure. Um, I believe Hutcherson went down right about halftime or right after halftime, something like that. Um, and South Carolina has, puts back-to-back touchdown drives together with him on the field and doesn't score again the rest of the game. Um, and I think it's one of those things of we've seen it in the Muschamp era is if everything goes well and you have all of the players playing that you would ideally want to play, things go well. But you still don't have the depth in the secondary. I, I'm sure Will Muschamp would love to be able to throw out a third safety if JT Bay is not having a good game. He's played well the past few weeks, but – um, obviously did not have his best game against Tennessee. I'm sure Will Muschamp would love to have a guy that he would trust to throw out there as a backup. Um, but he just doesn't have the depth there. And so if you get an injury, you're basically starting over and saying, okay, that's a weak point of our offense. That's a weak point of our defense. Um, and that's kind of been a theme as they really try to build depth and um, you know try to build some talent on this team is you've got a lot of frontline talent, but you have a guy that like Greco Dowell goes down. I counted two or three just by the eye test um, short yard situations that Rico Dowdle, I have no doubt, would have gotten a first down. But you hand off to Mondinson, and Mondinson just doesn't have the talent level that 
Rico Dowdle has, runs into the back of his line and misses a hole or um, Tavian Feaster on that toss sweep um, right next to the goal line that was mm-hmm. overturned. He made a bad cut. He should have kept going outside. That's something I think Rico Dowdle would have been able to pretty easily walk in for six points. And so you have these injuries that really, really hurt the offense. And, yes, they need to adjust a little bit, um, but you're seeing a, a lot of if this team was ideally where everybody's healthy and looking the way that they want it to look, you'd see a, a lot more firepower on this offense. You'd see this defense playing a lot better if you, you know, maybe don't have an injury or maybe you have, um, you know, maybe you could put a Jalen Dickerson in there if J.T. Ebay's playing wrong or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Tavian had a, had a pretty nice game, 19 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown, but this felt like the, the game, I mean, it's been one game, and obviously Rico did get a carry against Florida, but Carolina missed Rico more this game than they did in the Florida game. Um, and, and not a knock against uh, Tavian, probably as much as Mon, because there just weren't really many options beyond that. Obviously, Kevin Harris being out at this point in the season, maybe back for the App State game, maybe had a factor. Maybe he would have been someone that saw more carries as the season progressed and, and was able to get more second and kind of third carries for Carolina. Um, they didn't run the ball well. They only averaged 2.6 yards a carry. Mon averaged 1.7. Obviously, there's some sack yards in there for Ryan Holinsky, who had four carries total for minus 14 yards. I guess three of those were sacks. One of them was, uh, I guess, otherwise characterized as a carry. But I guess that's the one thing that probably frustrates Carolina fans is, you know, it's it's college football. And eight games into the season, you can't expect everyone to be healthy and you can't expect everything to be going well. You know, Tennessee also, I don't. I know Wanye Morris left the game, their starting right tackle. They were missing their starting left tackle for part of the game. I can't remember if he came back in. They're missing their starting quarterback as well, which I guess Carolina kind of is, although I don't think anyone really thinks that Jake Bentley is a better option than Ryan Helensky at this point. But Tennessee, you know, had some of that adversity as well, but their game, they, they were able to come in with a game plan. They were able to execute it, and then they were able to adjust and really put their foot on the gas, you know, as you mentioned earlier, especially in the second half, going with some more max protect and just deciding, hey, we're, we're just going to air it out with, or air it out to Juwan and Marquez a little bit more. Whereas Carolina, for whatever reason, they don't either, they don't be able to, they, they are not able to either strike the right balance or make those correct adjustments based on personnel decisions. And maybe you just say Tennessee's backup tackles are better than Carolina's backup tackles. But I, I think that is probably where a lot of the frustration in the fan base is coming from right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's one of those things of you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in the sense of you are trying to build depth, and this team does have more depth than it did last year. Um, but at the same time, you, you figure at this point you would have, um, you know, you have some, some backups that can jump in and play. Um, and, and you do have guys, and you see it, you know, guys like Jamie Robinson are playing really well. Um, you have, you know, some freshmen here and there that are jumping in and playing, but you still don't have the depth that you would like to have. And so if one of your main guys, you think about the defense, um, Javon Kinlaw had his worst grade of the season, um, for whatever reason, just did not have a great game. Um, and it completely threw the entire complexion of the defense off because there's not enough talent around him to make up for it if your superstar doesn't have a superstar game. Um, and you look at the Alabamas, you look at the Clemsons, you look at the, the Georgias, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to have a great game for Clemson to be able to win by 35 points. Um, if Trevor Lawrence doesn't have a good game, then you've got ETN that's going to have a good game, or you've got some some wide receivers that are going to have a good game. You saw it with, you know, granted, Arkansas is a much worse team than Tennessee, and, you know, Alabama obviously is a better team than South Carolina, but Tua goes down, and Mac Jones comes in has a terrific game against um, Arkansas. And you have the talent around him to be able to not put too much pressure on him, uh, but South Carolina is just kind of stuck here with, 
well, you want more talent, but to win, you have to, to get new recruits. You have to win. And to win, you need more talent. So you really have to, um, you know, scheme and win some games that maybe you shouldn't. Um, and then, of course, not lose the games that you should win. And don't lose them like this either. I think that's been as problematic as anything. You know, at the end of the day, it is a game of wins and losses. But for Carolina and specifically for the fans and, and maybe for the people inside the football facility, I don't know because I haven't talked to them about this, but, you know, losing that North Carolina game, you lose by four. It's it's like a really tough performance, especially because you're a 12-point favorite. That's That could have been forgotten if Carolina had had really just kind of turned things around after that. But the embarrassing performance against Missouri and you lose by 20 and just look uninterested, unprepared, unenergetic, a whole lot of things. And then it was more of the same, especially, I mean, that second half was was just horrendous for Carolina. They looked unprepared. They didn't look energetic. They didn't look like there was any investment or motivation to win that game. No pride, no anything like that. And I, as much as I do like to sit here and play armchair psychologist, I don't like to criticize the effort of the players. So I don't want to get too caught up in doing that. But I think probably more than anything, it goes back to preparation. And, and Carolina just hasn't really had that. I, I do want to before we get out of here, and I want to ask you, because uh, I like to ask you just kind of what other numbers stood out that um, I didn't get a chance to ask you about, but want to switch to some lighter fare, because this has been doom and gloom, as it should be, because Carolina just got embarrassed on Saturday. But you were at the game. Did you have a good view of the Brian Edwards catch? Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. I really enjoy Tennessee's press box. It's really well set up. Um, they feed us well. It's all that kind of stuff. Um, but we were sitting in there, you know, we talked back and forth and, um, I was actually sitting next to a couple of Tennessee beat writers and, um, we're all just kind of sitting there. It was actually on the side that, um, we were sitting on. So, um, well, let's keep through it up and we're, you know, trying to see what's going to happen. And as soon as Edwards caught it, it's, you know, obviously working press box, you're not supposed to cheer. <laughs> Everybody in the press box is just like, whoa, um, you know, there were some people that, you know, there were a couple claps and there were a couple, oh my goshes. And um, it was, I would say it's probably the best. No, granted, because of the game situation, you can lose some of that. It's probably the best catch I've ever seen in person. Mm-hmm. Um, the other catch that I wasn't there at that game um, and at the time meant more um, was Alshon Jeffries' catch against. Um, Alabama, I believe that was um, against one of their big corners. I can't remember exactly. That was uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, I think. It was Drake Kirkpatrick. That's who it was. Um, And that was probably the bigger catch because of what it meant at the time. Um, But that's probably the best catch I've ever seen. Um, Full extension to catch it, to bring it down, not even use the other hand. Um, And then we were joking that, I think it should be illegal to overturn that. If it's a half yard, you just say, you know what, that's a touchdown because <laughs> to have that go from a touchdown to, oh, we're down at the half yard line, I think is just an absolute travesty. It shouldn't happen. Uh, it was the correct call. His hand was out of bounds. Um, but I think that for a catch of that caliber, you should just say that that's worth a half yard. That's a touchdown. Yeah, I feel that I feel that way about a lot of things, especially in the NFL where it bothers me more than anything, like the Dez caught it thing. I was like, that was a spectacular catch. Just just give it to him. But um, that's really cool. Yeah, I've I've yet to see a catch that spectacular in person. I, I guess I, I was there for the Alabama Alshon catch. But it was different. You know, it was a one-handed catch where he kind of like went up and cradled it as opposed to just <laughs> snatching it out of the air Odell style. I mean, it was crazy. And what was funny, watching it on TV, so the people behind him kind of just instinctively cleared out because they expected the ball to come like kind of skipping through or maybe someone to like kind of fall back there. 
And so it kind of created the illusion that he missed the ball, that it was overthrown or, you know, underthrown or, or just kind of missed him in some way. And I was like, okay, where's the football? I don't see it bouncing. Did he? He didn't catch that. Did he catch that? You know, it was the full, like, didn't know what happened, then didn't believe it happened, and then it was just absolutely incredible. So that was cool. Really glad you got to see that in person. That was that was pretty spectacular. Um, before I let you go, yeah. any other numbers that stood out to you, anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about? I think the, the main thing is, is, and we'll keep talking about this as it goes on, but I think this was the game that fans really should start to look and go, maybe it's not Ryan Holinsky. Maybe Ryan Holinsky's actually playing well. I thought Ryan Holinsky played well. I thought a lot of his misses came once the game was well in hand. Um, and Tennessee's just rearing back, throwing, you know, bringing the blitz every single play. Um, some of the numbers, you know, back that up. His completion percentage was um, 55%, which is not good. But then you look at his true completion percentage, which takes away batted passes, drops, um, and throwaways. And his completion percentage goes up almost 20%. Um, so he goes from a 55% completion percentage to almost 75% um, completion percentage, just factoring out all these passes that were dropped, the passes that he smartly threw away, um, and then the two passes that were batted at the line, um, which South Carolina's offensive line needs to get better at cut blocking because that happens a lot. And I think he's number one in the SEC maybe in batted passes, um, which is not usually a quarterback thing. It's usually an um, offensive line thing. So that's something to look for going forward. South Carolina's going to have to find a third receiver. I'm not sure who it is. I don't know if there's a third receiver on this roster, um, but it would not hurt to start experimenting and see if they can find somebody because um, South Carolina's other guys aren't getting it done. They need it. Or maybe they just need to steal Jeremy Pruitt's game plan and go max protect and just throw it up to Brian Edwards and Chai Smith every time because, uh, I don't know, maybe that would have worked better than what they did on Saturday, but... Uh, anyway, great stuff as always. Follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. Check out his website, prep-ra.com. If you are someone or know someone that's trying to make it to the next level, but maybe isn't necessarily a five-star recruit that's automatically getting a full ride to Alabama and you're interested in the academic side of it as well, you were just tutoring someone right before you hopped on this podcast. So uh, you do a lot of cool stuff with that. We really appreciate it. Also be sure to read him on Gamecock Central. Will, thank you again so much. We'll talk to you next Monday. As always, appreciate it. Thanks again to Will. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. Seriously, a great follow there. Read him on Gamecock Central and prep-ra.com. That's his company. It's really cool. For those of y'all that are interested in any of those things we talked about, be sure to check that out. It's really awesome. Before we get out of here, just a couple quick things from Twitter over the weekend. Uh, first of all, shout out to uh, Schrodinger's Gato for getting in by responding to one of my tweets. You get boni- uh, bonus points for that. I was talking about how South Carolina's secondary was making Jared Garantano look like Pat Mahomes. And Schrodinger's Gatto weighed in and says, fun to see Tennessee subbing in Marino for Mahomes after Mike Vick started the game, which was excellent because obviously started Marquez Callaway, or excuse me, Juwan Jennings in the Wildcats there. So that was really funny. Um, this one from Lacey at Lacey Soul, a summary of the first eight games for South Carolina. I thought this was pretty accurate. One, ass. Two, okay, parentheses, easy though. Three, better. Four, ass. Five, good. Six, wow, seven refs, and eight, ass, dot, 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 again. Probably a pretty fair summation of the season. And last but not least, we'll give the last word of the day to Will Helms since he did such a good job digging up those stats for us today, especially those wide receiver stats. Good grief, not great. Uh, But on the flip side, Will said, I wrote a lot of nice things about South Carolina's secondary this week. 
So I sincerely apologize. I had to save this for the end because I didn't want y'all to be thinking negative thoughts about Will for cursing Carolina's secondary going into the Tennessee game, but there you have it. He's publicly apologized for it. I have forgiven him. Hopefully it won't be an issue again this weekend against Vanderbilt, but we will certainly see. I'll be back on Friday to give some thoughts on this game or on that game, that upcoming Vanderbilt game. I promise you, I will tell you, and if I tell you otherwise on Friday, don't believe me, believe what I'm saying now, don't touch Carolina minus 16. I don't care that they're at home. I don't care that Vanderbilt's bad. Even if they cover the spread, don't tweet at me and say, you told me not to take minus 16. I'm telling you, that is a bad idea. Don't touch that. We'll be back on Friday to talk more about that game. Until then, y'all have a great week, and I'll talk to you again, I guess, on Wednesday with Wes and Chris for another Carolina podcast. Until then, y'all have a good week. Thank you so much for listening. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.